0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week we're here to dis- discuss Westworld season two, episode eight. Um, and tonight we're joined by Anager, Gerald, Maggie, and Darren. Um, this is a full spoilers episode, so you've been warned. Um, so let's, let's just get into it. Um, so I I think we should start, start today's podcast by just going around the table and getting everyone's impressions on this episode. Um, I thought this was quite an important episode, um, from a sort of plot perspective. Um, but yeah, like what did everybody think? Um, (laughs) Anja?
1: Yeah, so I think there were some important plot developments in this episode, but I also really loved uh this episode just for the story that it told. Um so, you know, f- for me it was just this beautiful story of um this idea that uh for for is it Ash- how do I say his name? Is it Ashita? Am I saying that right?
0: Akachita. i, could
1: right. <laughs> I, I could, oh no, I can't even say his name right. <laughs> Okay. He, okay. 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 Yeah, that's how they call him. So, Ake, okay, who, um, you know, even though they've wiped his memories, um, there are just some memories that are connected to emotions so strong that they resurface, and specifically, um, sort of memories of loved ones. Um, same for other members of his tribe. Like that, you can't really wipe all of those memories out. And I I just love the story of this man who notices that something just isn't right and then fights to try to understand what it is. And he comes to this realization that he is living in the wrong world or a world that he doesn't choose. He's living a life that he doesn't choose and he wants to strive to, to lead everybody to something better. Um, I thought it was a really beautiful story of uh, a man who searches the whole world for the person that he loves. And once he's done searching the world, he searches the underworld for her. And even more beautifully, when he finds her and he realizes that she is lost to him forever, he grieves that, but he can also put it into perspective. And he looks around him and he sees, um, you know, all those other bodies, and they represent the loved ones that all the other people in the world above him have lost. And he sees, he sees that, and it doesn't turn into hatred. He doesn't turn to vengeance. He doesn't become cold and bitter. He really just strives to protect um, the people that he cares about from this fate, and to try to lead them to something better. So I thought. Um, that it was a really beautiful story, and yeah, from from the plot perspective, um, we found out something quite important about what the valley beyond might be. There's a literal door there, um, and I also just thought it was great that they interweaved this episode um, over thirty years of Westworld history um and i think for them to achieve all of that and tell a story as big as that story without it being cheesy or without it being without us just losing interest because they didn't connect enough um was was amazing um so i really like this episode mags
2: i I absolutely love this episode um it was my favorite of the season so far i thought the lead actor um Zane McC- McCorman or something, I can't remember his name, it was amazing. Um, he really carried the episode. I um, thought it was lyrical and elegant, and um, it went back to the whole reason why, you know, I love Westworld in the first place, which is a sort of musing about humanity and about um, what, what the essential sort of ingredients of a, a, a life worth living and a life um, that has been well lived is made up of. Are you guys still there? Hello. Yes, yeah, we are. Yeah, we we are. Oh, Okay. We are. Sorry, we are. I can't tell when if it's cut out or not. <laughs> um, I thought um, the sort of relationship between him and his love um, Kohana Kohane was uh, incredibly beautiful um, and well thought through. It's very, um, very thoughtful. I guess relationship they put together, um, and the idea of calling you know the hosts that replace um, the characters that they're meant to play as ghosts, I thought was very clever. Um, that you know in the memory of the that the true person is the the one that lives in the memory of the um, of the person they had the relationship with, not not the sort of story itself. So it's this idea that memory is sort of transcends story and mm-hmm. and transcends the um, I guess the the purpose of the park for the hosts themselves. Um, some inconsistencies within the story, but for me, um, it didn't overwhelm how much I enjoyed it.
0: Cool, Jerry. This was a this
3: to me was a very strong standalone episode of the show. Um, Zan McClendon, who uh, we last whom we last saw as Hanzi in Fargo season two, um, brought a great deal of um, depth to the role. I think he was. Many layered. Once he was menacing on the outside, but on the inside, I gave a deeply uh, tender performance of a man searching for uh, a woman whom at first he only vaguely remembers loving, but becomes a, a stronger memory. Um, and the linking up with Maeve, I thought, was extremely well done. That was um, a particularly nice touch at the end of the episode when we find out that um, Akechita has been speaking to Maeve. Um, for most if not all of the episode uh, I still think though That the, as great as this episode was It probably exposes some of the Structural issues With this particular season of Westworld um, I'm starting to doubt Whether at the, In the planning stages of the show Or at least this season that The um, writers room had enough Story for the entirety Of the season And so we're getting these bottle episodes, which are great, they're great bottle episodes, but in terms of driving the story forwards, um, it, it it didn't take matters very far. And I think I think it was a great standalone episode, which you know hit the pause button on the main story and allowed us to explore some some of the lesser known figures in the in the West World universe more. And I'm quite happy for the show to have done that, but I think. In terms of the main story, there may not have been enough to sustain the entirety of the season. The preview for next episode looks like it's going to be mostly a, a Mountain Black Bottle episode. Um, so it, it seems like they're, they're very elegantly delaying the normal of the season and playing for time. Um, but all that notwithstanding, I thought this was a, a very, very strong episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, look, I, I would say that. Um... While I agree that it feels like a bottle episode, um, I saw look, I, I, I was I was very happy with this episode as well, and I actually thought it was important from a Westworld perspective because um, it kind of goes back to that sort of, you know, we've had a few detours that haven't really been like that sort of Westworld sort of sci-fi discussion of consciousness. Um, types of episodes, right? And I, I kind of feel like this episode has gone back to kind of those season one roots where it is, I mean, it is a touching story about, um, a man looking for, um, his love, but at the same time, it's also like throughout it, there's like all these, all this commentary on, um, consciousness and the important of the importance of memory. Um, how, how important memory is as a cornerstone of one's consciousness. um, I also felt like there were um, strong sort of religious themes, and it's something that I actually want to discuss later, because something that I really loved about this episode is that it kind of gives you an understanding of how religions can be formed, or mythologies and legends can be formed, Um, and... uh, I I thought that from a plot perspective, it was also a really important episode because I think the episode explains exactly why hosts are being awakened, right? Like, what the process is, right? Because I, I know a few episodes ago, we were talking about how it seems completely arbitrary, how hosts are waking up, and I think this episode kind of explains exactly like what the process is that kind of makes the host kind of aware and sort of capable of retaining or accessing their previous memories, right? Um, Having said that, I I personally felt that it was both a beautiful episode and a frustrating episode because I thought it was like, you know, like the core thrust of the episode was really, really well made. But um, again, I found myself... Take, being taken out of the immersion um, basically by the stuff that the Delos Corporation were doing. Like, it was just. <laughs> there was yeah. one scene in particular that just it just boggled my mind you mean,
1: you mean where he walks around <laughs>
0: the, yes he walks
1: around the mesa <laughs> yes, <laughs> because, yes because last season when Maeve was trying to move from one part of the mesa to the other it was actually very difficult there were people everywhere and she had to devise a plan that would allow her to sort of um, get Felix to get her through without being noticed whereas for some reason the whole place is cleared out very conveniently for, for um, Akechida to just wander through go down the elevator and into the storage room
0: yeah, it was, it was like, I mean, for me, that's, it was just like, what is actually going on with Delos? Like, it, there's this, like, it, it actively made me, like, I mean, we've joked about how much of a broken down organization Delos is, but it, it actively made, like, took me out of immersion, it sort of made me question the logic of the world a little bit, it it was just really, it, it, it was just a really weird scene. In particular, like, when they find out that he's been running around for a decade without being brought in for servicing, their reaction is basically, who cares? It, it's, it, it's just, I, I could, I just didn't understand. I completely didn't understand what was going on there. It, it, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, the other
3: thing is, he's also, he's also been off loop for almost a decade. Um, and no one's taken. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we we know from season one that they're actually quite sensitive to monitoring departures exactly. from narratives of 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 every single host. Exactly. And and a- Akejita has been off loop for almost a decade, and, and, and no one notices. There, there's it a shrug of the shoulders. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it, it,
1: <laughs> Completely implausible that they wouldn't have known about it. It's implausible that their policy would be that we don't upgrade the hosts until they die, because there are several hosts in several narratives who are unlikely to die because they're not in combat type roles or they're in mm-hmm. safer parts of the, the narrative. So a lot of that stuff didn't make sense. Um, I think the reason why she said just put him back in the field was because she was trying to cover her ass a little bit. But yeah. you know, I think I think the show is asking us to just ignore this. Stuff which is a little bit much to be honest. Like, can I ask why you think this episode um, explains why the hosts are being wakened? Because I'm still not completely sure I understand. Like, is it just because the memories are so strong that they can't be overridden and they keep resurfacing, or does it have to do with the symbol of the maze that seems to trigger a great awakening? Um, like, what? How
0: do you think yeah. it explains that? So uh, I think that it kind of links to season one, right? And th- this is why I like this episode, because it harkens back to like, the whole Arnold thing, right? Basically, mm-hmm. throughout season one, we're made aware that the hosts absolutely have the processing power and the consciousness, basically, to be termed as conscious. But they're not functioning like, I guess, living beings in a way, because they have no access to their memory right? And so you're introduced to this idea, you know, like there's a bicameral man and like all these like layers of consciousness. And I guess we're introduced to this idea that memory is a core pillar of consciousness, right? Like you Mm -hmm. can't be conscious if you don't have access to your true memories, right? So that's set up. And I think what this episode for me anyway, the way I interpreted it, and maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but the way I interpret it is that when a walks into the town where um, Arnold's been shot, there's that the little like picture of the of the not the bicameral man, of the, the maze, right, that's sitting on mm-hmm. that table. And when he sees that, that... For whatever reason, Arnold has programmed this little thing in their minds that when they see that symbol, it creates a memory peg, right? So from the moment they see that symbol, they will be able to access their memories to that point, right? So prior, like around that point, is when they have access to their memories. Prior to that point, it, like they can't really hit it, right? And I think you see that numerous times, right? Because like what he does. And the reason why Ghost Nation is able to understand what is actually going on is because after he sees the symbol, he starts going a little bit nuts, right? And he starts inscribing the symbol everywhere. And you think he's going Mm -hmm. crazy, but him inscribing the symbol everywhere means that everyone else in Ghost Nation subconsciously sees the symbol. Like, you know, the guy looks at... Looks looks at him and goes like your like looks at the girlfriend and says your husband's going crazy he's inscribing this symbol everywhere right and mm-hmm. then you notice that his girlfriend and that guy both have seen that symbol subsequently that guy that gets taken offline because he's malfunctioning and the girlfriend is able to access her memories of him because. She has that memory peg that's been put down in place at that point in time. Similarly, also like also the Ghost Nation mother, you know, the the sort of matrial mm. figure, the matriarch figure there. She's seen that mm-hmm. symbol as well, right? So Maeve's daughter. So it makes sense, right? Because all of these interactions that he's had with people, people that have awakened, are because. And the, so, basically, my hypothesis, and I think that this was what the episode was trying to get at, is that the moment you see that symbol, you have a memory peg, and as a result, you have consciousness, right? Because your mind is pegged back to the moment that you see that symbol. So Maeve's daughter, even so, even if you can't, at, you can't actively access those memories until someone triggers it in you, you actually have the ability to access those memories to that point, which is why Maeve's daughter, the moment he starts talking to her, she can start sort of flashing back to when she saw the symbol. And then there's the scene where Maeve gets given the little like stone that uh, Akechita has inscribed in blood with the symbol. And I think that's the moment that Maeve kind of awakens a little bit, right? Because she is able to access memories back to that point in time. That's why her daughter is so important to her because she's able to access memories to that point in time, right? And she's able to remember that set of um, human interactions, right? So, um,
1: yeah,
0: so, yeah, I think...
1: Well, he... Akechita, Akechita can actually access memories prior to when he saw that symbol because we start the story at a time prior to that. So I'm not sure it's the, that's the moment that they can, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 If that were true, then the first of their memories would start from when they saw that symbol. And for Akechita, his memories start before that.
0: Yeah, but I, I think it's, it's like, my interpretation was that is it's not as, like, it's it's not as hard as that, right? It's kind of like, okay. it's like... It, it
1: triggers it, it, and then after that, you've got all your memories.
0: Well, not necessarily all of them, but it's kind of like a peg around which you start having, like, mm-hmm. conscious memory, right? Like, um, yeah. yeah, so... I I strongly got that sense from the show, and that's why for me this episode was so satisfying from a plot perspective because I felt like they had um, they had kind of explained what was going on with the with the kind of awakening of the hosts. Right. Um, mm. It's interesting though that you guys didn't read that the same same way that I did. So. Um.
1: I read that as just, okay, this is a symbol and yes, maybe Arnold has programmed something in them to allow them to start accessing their memories Mm. once they see the symbol. Because Mm. I don't know what what else it could be other than that, but Mm. I preferred the idea that their memories were just not something that you can erase and overwrite and that at some point those memories will resurface because to me that's sort of similar to like say Alzheimer's where mm. even when the disease starts to erode the memory and like cover up the memory, those memories still s- resurface sometimes because that's, I don't know, that that's, that's the nature of memories, particularly strong ones. Um, mm. So that's kind of how that's how I read their coming to consciousness. It started with the memories and um, and then it sort of led to a deeper awareness of the nature of their reality.
0: Mm. Uh, I, I think regardless, the symbol, like whether the symbol is a peg in time or whether it allows them, it allows them to access all of their memories, the symbols are linked to this idea of um, memory being linked to active consciousness, right? So, um, yes, uh, look, agreed. Like, I, I think in terms of the actual mechanics, maybe it's not 100% explained, but basically we do know that you look at the symbol and you can get access to your memories in, in some capacity, right? So, And then you have this idea that me- memory is important for like your your consciousness, I guess. So um, for me, I, I felt that, that that at least was satisfying.
3: There are two points that I wish to make. The first is that... As I recall it in the pilot episode, we're told by one of the techies, I think it might even be Elsie, that um, the memories of each host aren't completely overridden, even when they're wiped for the purpose of being reinserted into their narrative or inserted into a new narrative. And as I recall it also, this is the second point, um, one of the hosts goes berserk either in the pilot or the second episode uh, in a bar um, and... um, he shoots up everyone who had killed him in his previous narrative, mm. and it's never established in the pilot episode or subsequently that this particular host ever saw the maze symbol. So, I don't think there's a there's a much of a correlation, or even a, I don't think there's a direct correlation, and perhaps there's no correlation at all between having seen the maze symbol and being able to access one's memories pre-narrative um, or um, in another in another life. Uh, so it may well be that the maze while significant for Dolores, and perhaps significant for Arcadian as well. Um, it's it, it's not a it's not a touchstone of universal application for every one of the hosts.
0: Mm. Mm, okay. Well, look, I, look, I, I think um, it's interesting that we've had, um, I guess, sort of different readings of um, kind of what the maze. That maze symbol represents. Um, I guess it, it'll be quite interesting to see whether they ex- explain it in more detail um, in the coming episodes. Um, w- was there anything else we wanted to say about the maze um, symbol?
1: No, I hope they do Tell us a little bit more about it, but I doubt they will. I feel like this was their way of kind of wrapping that up. And because this episode explained why the man in black saw a maze around a physical maze around Maeve at that yeah. moment that she, yeah. So I feel like they're wrapping this up and that's all they're going to say about it. But it would be good if we hear any more. And I think Darren, like your explanation of it is a really sort of well rounded explanation and it makes a lot of sense. I just didn't get that from like I don't know I didn't get that from the episode but if they had put it that way it would be something that really made a lot of logical sense um but it just it wasn't clear to me that that's actually what was going on
0: Hmm. interesting interesting well I mean like so I think well let's move on from from there we're
1: talking about you were talking about religious things
0: yes so um This is something that I really loved about this episode. Um, Because I think... So, Akechita, in my mind... So, there's kind of two points here, right? The first point is kind of, like, this week kind of reinforces that Judeo-Christian aspect of Westworld. Um, And for me, this week kind of solidified... You know how we talked about the religion remix... And kind mm. of who is playing which role, right? So, um, based on my reading this week, like, Akechito specifically refers to Arnold as the creator, right? Mm. And then he refers to Dolores as the Deathbringer. Um, mm and I love that, right? Because he's it, it, he, he's kind of speaking like like a fortune cookie, but it makes sense within his context, right? It's not like a Man in Black who actually has full knowledge of what's going on and speaks like a fortune cookie. Like for mm-hmm. Akechida, he he actually doesn't know what is what's going on, and he's just trying to sort of piece it together, yeah. right? So, so I guess the first point is kind of. Um, it, for me, it solidifies that Ford and Arnold are kind of like the Father and the Holy Ghost, right? You know, the Christian God has a the Trinity: there's Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? So Ford and Arnold are the Father and the Holy Ghost. And then you mm. have Bernard, who is um, the Son. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the Jesus-style character, who's the son mm-hmm. of kind of God, but also God as well. So they together form the Trinity, right? And then mm-hmm. you have Dolores, who is kind of like the firstborn of the creator, who is the one who wants to tear down his creation, right? So Dolores, in the sort of Judeo, she is taking on the role from the Judeo-Christian myth of the devil, right? And this, is, this mm-hmm. ties in with this idea of her being called the Deathbringer. So I thought there was that. And then you have Akechita, who is basically Moses, right? Because his, his role is that he wants to lead mm. his people to the promised land. His aim yeah. is basically to take all his people on this exodus, right? Away from this false world. Um, so I really love that. And I think linked to that is this idea that if you're going to be a Moses character, right? What are the things that kind of like um, define Moses? As a character, and I think one of the things that defines Mo- Moses's character is that he's a prophet, right? He has these sort of direct co- relation. He has a direct relationship with God, right? He 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 speaks to he speaks to the Creator, and Akedah has multiple moments in this when he is sort of directly communing with um, the gods. And I, I really like that when he does that. Um, hey, are you guys still there, by the way?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we're here. Yeah.
0: Um, I love the way that, that when he does that, um, the scenes in which he interacts with with these people is a, like something that a like it feels sort of mythological, right? It's kind of like you know you have this idea of a burning bush, and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you know, you read mm-hmm. these stories, and you're like, this seems. Outrageous! There's no way that this could happen, right? And then he has that beautiful scene with Ford when he wanders into the clearing and everything is frozen, right? There's a bear. All his guys are sort of frozen, attacking the bear. And then Ford is sitting there with spotlights in this area that just seems completely sort of shut off from the rest of the world, right? And he's sitting there slowly skinning the heads, like scalping... Um, scalping all of the men and i just thought that that was like that is the sort of thing that you would that gets put in sort of religious imagery right and then it's kind of like in westworld it's kind of like you in it's both mundane and religious at the same time, right? You can understand how those sort of superstitions and sort of those dogmas build up if you get exposed to those situations without fully understanding what is kind of going on, right? And there's kind of multiple scenes in this episode where you're kind of like, actually, if you were him, if you put yourself in a catcher's shoes this would be a religious experience, right? This would be a completely otherworldly supernatural experience. Um, And if you put it down on paper, if you were in his shoes and you put it down on paper or you told people about it, they would think that you were crazy or that you were a prophet or some sort of... And then what's beautiful is that as viewers, we know exactly kind of what's going on. There's this rational explanation kind of in inverted commas for all of this stuff. Right. Um, mm. so I, I love how it's able, like this episode is able to kind of like, it, it's almost like it, it, it's, it's kind of talking about how religions can kind of, the mythology of religions can kind of like start, right? Like it, I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself properly, but I yeah, really no, like
1: absolutely. Yeah. And it is—it is, is a religious experience for him because for him, Ford is his creator, or Arnold is his creator. Like he refers to them that way, and that's also factual for them. You know that the humans are their gods in the sense that they created them and they have been controlling them. Um, so yeah, but I, yeah, I really like your point about how if he went and explained this to somebody else, it would be as though he was losing his. mind. Mind, um, and on the other side of it, where for us um, who know what's going on, it, it's not a it's not a spiritual experience at all. Um, yeah,
3: mm. yeah. Um, can, I just, can I just ask how how it is that Ketcherda new to identify Arnold as the creator?
1: Yeah, we don't know that.
0: We don't know that. We don't know that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <It's> another. <laughs> it's another thing we're supposed to look the other way on. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, absolutely we don't we don't know that. I, I did I <laughs> I actually really loved how he referred to Dolores as Deathbringer. <laughs> I thought yeah, that was sorry
3: like <laughs> <Deathbringer>. <laughs> it's alliteration
1: to it as yeah.
3: well. <laughs> you know, I can understand how he comes to see Dolores as a Deathbringer because I I think she's the only person in the entire tableau who's who, who's holding a pistol. So um mm-hmm. although having said that how does he even know what a pistol is, given that he's he's sort of when we first meet when we first meet Akechita in his idyllic um paradise life, um that seems to be pre Western settlement. So how he'd know what a pistol is and the fact that Dolores holds a pistol and makes it the the, the Deathbringer, um is is another mystery in the show, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think it's kind of implied that their tribe does have interactions with the town. Like, I, I, I think that it, it's not like they're, they're completely... Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: But, um, yeah. Well, I was just going to say... I Mags? Think the cinematography was really beautiful this episode. They did all the beautiful lingering shots of the desert and um, of the different, you know, Mises in the country, and I think that really added to the allegorical feel of the episode, that kind of vastness. Um, of the journey that he was facing and as well as the sort of landscape in which um, they, they've built Westworld in. Um, yeah, I thought that was quite beautiful. Um, the interaction with Logan, what do you guys think about that? I sort of threw that one in.
1: <laughs> I guess it... Plot-wise, um, it did show us, you know, what happened to Logan when he rode off and, you know, how it is that he sort of survived that experience. Um, it, yeah, I kind of, like, Logan, you know how um, in in stories that the, there's, the, there's the fool or the idiot, um, and this is the person who acts really silly, but they are supposed to have a kind of wisdom to them? Um, so Logan kind of reminded me of that in that he's kind of lost his mind. And he's a bit of a fool, but he's sort of sp- sprouting all these things that seem to have a real significance to them, like the idea that this is not the right world. And we're not quite sure what he means, but um, whatever that is, it's obviously significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, to both of those points, Mags, I, I think that they're, um, they're quite interesting. Like, firstly, I, I think... Um, them having all those wide, wide shots of the landscape, um, I think it really added to um, the sense of scale of Akechida's journey, right? So mm-hmm. not only has he been on this journey yeah. for a long, long time, but, like, you know, you see him teleport from town to town, but when you see the scale of those vistas, you kind of get an inkling of, like physically how long that journey must have been right like Mm -hmm. it's like he's had to travel across this entire thing time and again right so um i I think it adds depth and poignancy to like this um this task that he's he's been undertaking um so yeah i I think they're both beautiful and i think they really add to the story as well like so i I really like that um to logan can, can i just ask like do you guys think that it was? So, 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 are we meant to assume that that was basically where Logan had been left after William had dumped him? Is that right?
1: Yeah, he rode off and then fell off his horse at some point and was sitting under that tree for a long time.
0: <laughs> I mean, does that seem plausible to you, right? Even given that he's supposed to be one of the key fa- key investors that uh, they're trying to impress.
2: That's not seem at all. <laughs>
0: I was like, how could they possibly leave him out there to die of exposure like that?
1: I think, I think the makers of Westworld are really relying on the fact that us like us diehard fans love this show so much that we will be okay with all of these other things that just don't make any sense at all, which is a bit crappy, to be honest.
3: You know, I mean, based, based on everything we've seen about Westworld, you would
0: expect it to get a really bad TripAdvisor review. No, absolutely! Oh my god, the management is horrible. Zero out of five stars for the management. Yeah, and, and and and
3: and the level of service for guests is a shit house. Yeah,
0: I mean the Delos. I was talking to Max that like. Basically, what they do at the Delos Corporation is like worst practice, right? How could that you be running this multi-million-dollar organization with th- with things that are carrying around active firearms and have that le- level of that level of assu- that mm-hmm. level of like quality assurance, right? It's just uh, I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. anything that has to do with kind of the real world, like the things that are inexplicable in this show are what the humans do, right? Like all the human interactions are kind of like, is that really what a human would do? Cause that seems kind of not right. Yeah.
1: So what did you think about Maeve? And, um, it was, it was really heartbreaking to see Maeve lying there with like her neck pretty much caved in. Um, Uh, Yeah, and again, why are they ignoring the fact that she has these superhuman, super robot powers? Like, why don't they care? What's Charlotte Hale even doing there? Isn't she supposed to be on her journey to the Valley Beyond um, from last episode when when Bernard told her to head over there to Sweet? I don't even know what she's doing there. Um, But what do we think is going to happen to Maeve? Is the posse going to turn up? Have they devised some kind of a rescue plan?
0: So, Anja, can I can I just go back to that? So, this was another bit that kind of took me out of it. Exactly what you just said, right? What is Charlotte Hale doing there? Like, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm kind of assuming that this is pre, this is before Carl Strand timeline, right? So, but the previous episode, oh, she had just been checked. Exactly, she was just checked in as they were all about to head off, right? No, 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 no. no, no. I think this is before Carl. No, Strand. no, no. This
3: is this is pre. This is before Carl Strand <laughs> and um... and after. After Dolores hits the uh, hits yeah. the, the Mesa,
0: yeah. Uh, but she had just escaped from the Mesa. The last time we'd seen Charlotte Hale, she was like hightailing it out of the Mesa, and then all of a sudden yeah, she's just she's back, here. She's back in there. Yeah. In
1: anyway, <laughs> and
0: Sizemore was basically exactly where Dolores was, so it was kind of weird that, like, what was this engineer, like this ultra sassy engineer, doing? Like, wouldn't he have been killed? Didn't they just come through yeah. and kill everybody? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it just me that that felt weird again? Right? Like, um,
3: yes. When I was totally weird. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I don't mind looking the other way a few times, but I think that it, it's happening so much now that it does take you a little bit outside of the episode, which is which is a bit of a shame.
3: Yeah. Well, I think this is, a, this is really a function of the way the writer's room is working. The writer's room is so so singularly directed towards setting up mysteries and um, dragging these mysteries out that basic bits of plotting are being ignored in the process. Um, I, I've made the complaint before, and I'll make it again, that this show seems to be much more interested in setting up puzzles um, to frustrate or tease viewers than it is in actually uh, telling a story, it's a, a basic functioning story. And I think the fact that there are so many plot holes is symptomatic of that misplaced focus on the part of the
0: writer's room. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a you, little bit harsh, Jazz. to
1: be yeah, honest. Yeah. Yeah. It, do it reckon- does quite well. At, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Max. Oh, no, I was
2: just going to say, do you reckon they've kind of confused themselves as well? And Because every episode is pretty much a playback of, you know, Looking back over to a previous time, someone telling a story about a previous time or flashing back into the past that they've kind of maybe they've just like just literally confused
1: themselves. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I think they do do a good job of telling the story, and that's why this episode was such a good one, because there was actually a lot of storytelling here. It's just there's a bunch of this other stuff sprinkled in that hasn't been thought out that well. It's almost like they don't care that it doesn't make sense. Um, so I, I don't think the problem is that they're focused on the, the mystery. They're just not focused on these details and telling the story without leaving these gaping plot holes. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I, like, another example is um, Man in Black, right? Emily comes in. Emily rides in out of the blue, asks for her father back, and a catcher just sends him off. Yeah.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, look, I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Anja. Like my feeling is that they're not they they're not the lost Riders, right? They're not doing mm-hmm. setting up mysteries for the sake of mysteries, right? But I do feel that they kind of have their A team riding some of the plot and basically yeah. the B team is kind of like well this isn't really that important I just need to get him from point A to point B so yeah. whatever right so it, and it, I think it's because how meticulously plotted out the main story is and how it works on so yeah. many different levels It it's such a stark contrast the way that the stuff in the Mesa is going because it does feel like a different caliber of plotting basically mm-hmm. um I think, like, I guess, from their perspective, they they made a call that like there's the main story and then there's the other stuff and we're just going to focus on the main main story. Um, yeah. What is the main story? Well, I that's I think that, I what think
2: they're confused about sometimes. and I think that they're confused about that sometimes too.
0: Yeah, mm, yeah, that's true. That's true.
3: <laughs> and Mae's Ma- Ma- posse has been MIA for two episodes now. <laughs> yeah.
0: So let's let's get back to Anage's point, which is what do we what do we think is happening here? Do we actually think that Maeve is done for or?
1: No.
2: No There's way. Yeah. yeah. She's the
1: main I... character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah, that's right, do. <laughs> <laughs> I Rossi have to save her because it's one thing to have a few gaping holes here and there, but to just write those people out and never <laughs> to have them return to them—that that really is lost territory. Walter kind <laughs> of was a Walter, Walt, Walt territory stuff that we um, that I don't think will happen. So hopefully they are devising a plan. I don't know that. Any one of them is smart enough to actually come up with a rescue plan, but hopefully hopefully they manage it. Maybe Sizemore even gets in on that.
0: Well, like, okay, let's think about the posse that Maeve has left behind, right? It's Hector, Armistice... Felix? Uh, Felix Sylvester ja- and Japanese the Japanese, Japanese lady. None of whom are known for their
3: brains.
0: <laughs> brains, brains, right? <laughs> three muscle and three guy. Like, Felix and Sylvester are just. They're just along for the ride.
1: You know what? <laughs> muscle is all they need. If they can get <laughs> Felix into the room with Maeve, he can help her. So maybe yeah. they just need some.
3: My, my other question is, what would Sylvester be doing in the posse? One would have expected F- Sylvester to be to have been in the crew with Sizemore that came in and snatched um, yeah. Maeve last episode, but he's not there. So F- Sylvester has just disappeared off the face of the earth. Uh, uh, he's not a natural fit for the posse. He's a more natural fit for um, the gang that, that snatched Maeve, but he's not to be found anywhere. The posse, the main posse are missing. And, yeah, there's a real problem because – um, you know, these are not these are not these are not people known for their ability to plan a meticulous um, operation. So, uh, you know, we'll just we'll just see. But they've just been they have been MIA for two episodes now in circumstances where when we left them, they were in the middle of a gunfight with Ghost Nation. Yes. So what would have expected at, at the least some sort of explanation for where they were this episode, but no, it ain't there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Another thing um, we should talk about is the the door and the valley beyond and what looks like another um, place to store. Did we see stuff that look like very similar to the cradle where they store things? Like, I assume that's where the human consciousnesses or the human um, mind eggs are being stored, Um, and then there's an actual door there. So what are we going to make of that door? The fact that Akechita is talking about a world beyond there where they can somehow be free of the kind of loss that they have been experiencing in Westworld, they can be free to be with their loved ones. Is that idea realistic? Like what kind of world would you ever be free to just be with your loved ones without loss coming in the way um, and without that kind of sadness and death and all of that? sort of intervening like sure you're not going to have your loved ones replaced by a complete different stranger but you're still going to have the pain of losing people that you love in any world um, unless you actually can live forever so what is beyond that door Um, even Ford seems to be teasing Akechita with the notion that yeah there's some kind of heaven beyond that door Um, what is it going to be I don't know what it can be other than the actual real world where humans generally live Um, but why that would be a type of heaven for the hosts, I don't know.
0: Mm. Look, I, I I thought that basically he was trying to lead them out of the park, right? That the park was a false reality, so he was going to lead mm. them out of the park. I mean, obviously, uh, this may be a false quest as well, right? Because when yeah. they get to the Valley Beyond, like, I, I don't think it's a train out of there. <laughs> Um, mm. and how are they going to integrate with the rest of the world so yeah I I, I, I don't know um, I mean I, I did feel that um, this episode did also like it I felt that Ache- a had come to an acceptance that his girlfriend was gone for good right mm. did you guys feel that as well but like yes. he had he had yeah he had, yeah um, so I th- I thought that was important because again it it brings up this theme of death and how death is important for life essentially right that like you know the consequence of death is actually an important part of living properly. Um, and I, I, I Except
1: he seems to think he can protect the others from that same thing happening. So yeah. I don't know that he's accepted that death is actually an important part for life. He's accepted that his girlfriend is gone, but I don't think he's accepted that for everybody else. But,
0: but I think, yeah, his, his aim is to lead them to a promised land where they'll be free of the false world, right? Or free of huh. the imposed narrative loops, Um yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I guess one of the things that struck me when I watched this episode was that, you know how he goes through that period when he actively tries not to die as so as to retain his memories? Mm. I thought that was quite powerful, right? Because for mm. him, he was the one host who was kind of aware of um, his immortality almost, but he uh. was actively fighting against it, right? And like, you know, I, th- I thought it was a good juxtaposition with a man in black's view, which was kind of like... It, doesn't actually matter. And then for this, this guy, it, it actually really, really matters because he's so afraid of kind of losing his mem- memory. So uh, I thought that was... Anyway, that, that's a bit of a detour. But um, yeah, look, I, I, I have no idea what the Valley Beyond is.
1: Like... I it can't just be a way out of Westworld because let's not forget there's another way out of Westworld. It's the train. I know the train is gone, but there are train tracks and there is another way out, right? The way yeah. that Maeve was going to go out before she decided not to. So I, I, it has to be more than just a way out. Um, I imagine there's some plan involved that in, that actually involves the human consciousnesses that might be stored in that valley. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Any thoughts, Gerald or Ma- Maggie?
3: Yeah, I, I'm inclined to think that it's more likely to be something related to the human uh, consciousnesses, if only because it's William who built the Valley Beyond. Mm. I mean, he's the one who showed it to Dolores. I don't know about four or five episodes back, uh, being constructed, um, and mm. it's still being constructed when Akeshita sees it in this episode, um, even though it's. Uh, more developed and more advanced along the way, so it's got to do ultimately with with Williams' original pitch, I think, to Delos, namely that this is a place where we can observe humans, their preferences, their deepest, darkest desires, and collect all that data and, and mine it um, uh, to some other end, perhaps immortality, perhaps some other end. I don't know. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay. The virtual world. Yeah, maybe they
0: are actually, I don't know, maybe it's the Matrix. (laughs) Um, Because remember,
2: if if Ford's quest is to live forever, and he no longer has a physical body, then it really is just the virtual world, and and in that virtual world, if you've got real human souls that you control, um, wouldn't that make him feel all the more powerful? Mm.
0: Yeah. I guess I guess we'll see if Westworld turns into I... the Matrix in the season <laughs> finale.
2: It'd be really sad if it did.
0: Yeah. Well, I look, I like the Matrix films, but it feels <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, what do we how funny?
3: How funny would it be if Westworld was a direct prequel? Prequel to the
0: Matrix. To the Matrix? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That would be amazing. I would love it. <laughs>
2: Um. I was thinking somewhere as well that um, one of the reviews for this episode that there's a lot of throwback to sort of Greek mythology in this episode, um, and the idea mm. that there's um, a Minotaur waiting um, in the in the valley beyond as the kind of guard to the entryway, and who that would, who that could be? So is it the man in black? Is that who? Ford is calling to act as the Minotaur, so to speak, or is that is it someone else? Is it Charlotte Hale? Who is
1: that? Is it is it it Dolores who wants to blow the whole thing up? Um, Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of Greek um, mythology references. Who's the Who's the character that goes to the underworld in search of his wife, Orpheus? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like d- definitely that scene of him going yeah. He he actually goes in and sees yeah. It's yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Well, obviously, with the Minotaur, also there's the it's linked to the maze, the image of the maze, because obviously mm-hmm. the Minotaur is sitting oh, yeah. in the centre of the maze, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, this is. I think this is actually one of the great things that Westworld does, right? It's able to bring in all these sort of mythologies and religious imagery yeah. and kind of shove it in there and kind of like. Yeah. Like, as I said, it kind of makes you kind of understand where all, like, if you were at the birth of a religion or the birth of a mythology, this is how this sort of stuff actually gets put into place um, mm-hmm. and can still be explained. I think it's really clever what they've done. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, okay, what do we think about William and his ability to survive?
1: <laughs> oh my God. Oh, come on. As if he dragged himself, having at least five gunshot wounds, as if he dragged himself all the way to the river. I just don't understand. Yeah. I don't know why they're doing that. I think he's meant to be healed now, so I can just how healed. how <laughs> was he
0: supposed to be healed?
1: <laughs>
0: People take like months to recover from wounds, right? He's literally been there ten minutes. And he's been manhandled. It's it's not like a catcher treated him like, you know, really gently and tended to his roof. He threw him on the ground and then was just like there. And then all of a sudden, like by the end of his episode, William is up and walking again.
2: Mm.
3: <laughs> I think the the answer is that one of one of the people of the Ghost Nation camp was obviously uh, Bruce Wayne's cellmate from the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> the one who the one who cures his broken back in about two minutes. Yeah. Um,
1: um, also, look, look with with that point, they so at the end of season one, the man in black breaks his arm, and his arm is in a sling when he goes to the party where the massacre happens. At the beginning of season two, he has no sling, and his arm is fine. It clearly hasn't been fixed because if it was fixable, if that technology was there, he would have fixed it before he went to the party. He couldn't have found a second while he was hiding under all those dead bodies to fix his arm. So either, I I don't know, that's, that's clearly, it doesn't add up. Yeah, this is what is so disappointing because the show is so brilliant. Like the religious imagery that you sort of spelt out for us, Darren, that's incredible. The way they bring references in from so many sources of literature and poetry, and and they 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 create a truly interesting story with that. truly amazing images and things do make sense and you know when you look back there are things that they have sort of laid out from the very first episode to sort of plot this story out they've done such a great job and then they just sort of do this where like what like did you not pay attention like did you think we're not paying attention you know that this this audience pays more attention than any other audience of any other tv show like what are you doing
0: well, I mean, the only explanation is that he has to be a host, right? Like, how else can you recover that quickly? Like, okay. I mean, I would hate if he was a host. I actually would hate if he was a host. But it seems like... like it almost seems like it's it can't be unintentional that he's recovering from this stuff so fast. Yeah. Given that, like, they're aware of people talking about this... You know, like... Remember, at the beginning of the season, people were trying to figure out which Bernard was which based on the scar on his head, right? They're aware of this sort of stuff, right? So, like, they can't not be aware of what's going on with a man. It seems, it it would boggle my mind if they were aware of that level of detail, and then just completely, like, oblivious to the fact that the man in black was recovering like a superhuman.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean...
3: Uh,
1: We're going to get the answers next week, I think. It's a Man in Black episode next week.
3: Yeah. And I, I was discussing this with manager the other day, and I floated the possibility that the hand in the bloody bathtub is actually that of William himself. He killed himself, and he, he was not lying when he talked about the way his wife died. You know, everyone's been suggesting, no, 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 he's got the way his wife died wrong. She actually slid her own wrist in the bathtub. Maybe it's William who who killed himself in the bathtub. And uh, the William is seen now walking around Westworld, uh, terrorizing guests and hosts alike, is, um, is a host himself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll I, I, I guess we'll see. It, like, it's... Yeah. At this point in time, I think to satisfy... The I guess the apparent incong- incongruities. Um, he would I think he has to be a host anyway. We'll
3: yeah, say. but yeah. I, I like you. I think that would that would kind of suck because uh, there there are only too many there are only so many times as showrunners you can pull the wool over viewers' eyes and say Aha, gotcha. Yeah, um, he was a host all along. Um, I mean, they did it with Bernard in season one, even though a lot of people saw that coming. They also pulled the trick off of making um, young William be the Man in Black, and then and then to have the Man in Black, as we see him now, turn out to be um, a host. I think you if, if you, you'd lose your audience's trust, and, and you know, audiences would be well entitled to say, well, this is all just bullshit. And if you need a if you need an easy out, you can pull one out at any time. So. I hope, I hope that um, that he isn't a host, but everything points in that direction.
1: I would be okay with it because they have kind of dropped things along the way that you could see as real, like, heavy hints that that, that he is a host. Um, I would be okay with it as long as they give us a truly, like, moving, gut-wrenching story of what happened to William and how he went from the man that he was to the robot the man in black was. If they can tell a really compelling story there, then I don't mind if he's human or... or, um, um, you know, or a, I mean, he's not going to be a host. He's going to be the, the same kind of thing that Jim Delos is, but one that actually functions, I guess. Mm.
0: Okay. Um, so, is there anything else we want to discuss about this episode with Akechda? um I think the general consensus was that it was a good episode, um, mm. quite a moving, poignant episode. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to next week. Is there, is there anything yeah. else we want to talk about?
3: Just a musical shout-out. Um, when catcher is walking around the Mesa and goes underground uh, to deep storage to find his wife, um, the music that's playing over over the scene is a, a very, very beautiful piano rendition of Nirvana's Heart Shaped Box. Um and it continues a pattern of the showrunners using piano versions of 90s grunge songs from Soundgarden and other bands um over in addition to the score by Rami Jvari so I thought that was uh that was pretty cool
0: yeah yeah well i did not know that but thank you for that piece of trivia charl <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't wait for next week. I I want to get a proper William episode. I want this mystery um, solved. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: hope you like William more after next week. I, I think I think this will be the test, right? If you come out of that episode, in you in particular, right? You come out of the, that episode and you feel like William is a viable character. That, I think that's the litmus <laughs> test, right? Because if you come with that out of that, and you still go, oh, "I hate William. He's he's a prick. Gilliam, right? Then, <laughs> that's true.
1: that's yeah. true. If they can change my mind, that will be one powerful episode. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think I, I definitely think they'll be shooting for that. I mean, you don't cast an actor of the caliber of Ed Harris in a role and just get him to give a one note performance. So hopefully, this will be his aria
0: in the series. We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see and let, let, let's also keep a track of Delos like I, I want us to keep an active track of work and safety, work, health and safety practices that Delos employees are breaking every episode <laughs> this is a nightmare, the government needs to go in and regulate these guys
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean why don't they, why don't the employees form a union <laughs>
2: Because they keep dying. They're they the keep houses.
3: dying, yeah. No, how, how, funny, how funny would it be if, at the end of the series, no one could get in and no one could get out of Westworld because disgruntled employees had formed a picket line outside the Mesa.
0: Are there any employees even left? There's like...
3: No, it's probably not.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, everybody, again, for a fun episode. And um, we'll reconvene next week. Thanks, everybody.
1: Yay. See you next time.
0: Bye.
3: Bye. Bye.